at the Recycle Garage. So we're doing uh, something a little special tonight. Um, before I introduce who all is here with us and, and on the phones too, I wanted to give you a little background of what we're talking about tonight. This is the Riding for Mental Health episode. Now, I have lived all over the country in a lot of different cities. And it wasn't until I moved here to Santa Cruz that I said, I've never known so many crazy people. Land of fruit? Yeah. I'm not <laughs> and I, I came to realize that it's not that there's more crazy people here. And by crazy, I, I mean, you name it. Insane. Yeah. Flavorful. We're eccentric. Eccentric, yeah. yeah. What I mean is that what I discovered is that this is the first time in my life I've had friends and people in my life who were open about what they deal with, uh, be depression, be physical problems, drug addiction, all these things. And I realized through my past that these people have been in my life all along, but they were never able to really be who they were and share those things with their friends and their community and get the support that they could use because in many other cities it's still not socially acceptable it's not cool you're going to be judged and i will tell you raising my hand right now i was one of those people who judged i did not ha want people in my life who had drug problems who had mental health problems because I didn't need that. In Santa Cruz, you're judged if you don't have a drug yeah, problem. Exactly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, wait, you're something wrong. Yeah. So I, I was one of those people. And through my friends here who live an open life, I came to realize uh, it's not so bad. As somebody who's their friend and a supporter, they're not going to take me down. They're, these are but we keep trying. normal people in my everyday <laughs> life. And I'm glad that they can be who they are and be a part of the community and that I don't have to cut these people out because of my ignorance and fears. So talking to a lot of people, I realized that writing is very important to them. Writing is uh, it's an escape. It's freedom. It's it's so many things and not just writing. We're, we'll talk about wrenching, too, and how empowering that can be. So I want to introduce now who we have first on the phone. We've got Paul from Long Haul Paul, who is riding a million miles for MS. Ooh. You want to say hi, Paul? Hello, everybody. Um, actually, it was supposed to be kilometers, but I messed up with the math. So I guess I got to do the whole million. <laughs> well, once you get started, you might as well keep going. How can yeah. you ever stop doing something? Exactly. Like and then we also have my good friend, Ben, on the phone, who's calling in. You want to say hi, Ben? Uh, sorry, did you introduce myself? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> say hi. Okay. Hi. Okay. We also have uh, another member of our community here, Rev. And you want to tell us what your title is, Rev? Oh, I've got a master's in psychology. I'm finishing up my clinical PhD. I'm an addiction specialist, um, consciousness theorist. Um, motorcycle enthusiast. So you're the most screwed up here. <laughs> oh, basically. yeah. Oh, yeah. I spent a lifetime <laughs> trying to learn how screwed up I was. At, most people in your field do exactly that. They go into, <laughs> like, okay, I'm completely bonkers, and they wind up helping other people. We just want to be next to people like us. So M makes you look better. With that, <laughs> okay. we also have another regular member of our crew here, Adrian. Yep. Um, yeah. <laughs> what do you want? I mean, another That's direction? That's it. Just, okay, just have yeah. a high for now. Hi. As I uh, go around. Yeah. And then returning from the depths of is, hell is Zoe. <laughs> hey, everybody. Yay. Who's always been around, but we dragged her out tonight. Yeah. And then another member of our community here is Cage. Oi. <laughs> hey, Nick Cage. You so look this something different. <laughs> a bit sexier. You're right. Very sexy. You're right. So let's start with Paul. I would like Paul to share his story 
and why you're riding so friggin' far. Well, gee, it's hard to, hard to say where it all started, but, um, you know, I've been riding motorcycles about 26 years, 27 years. Um, I started out riding normally like most people. <laughs> um, I live in New England where, you know, the average rider will ride uh, three or 4,000 miles a year. Yep, that's why and, I left uh, there. Put it away for the winter, and um, unfortunately, um, I started to go through uh, what turned out to be a pretty bad marriage and a nasty divorce, and um, I found that riding was uh, the only thing that kept me sane and uh, helped me through the divorce and helped me through um, what became ended up being a uh, 10-year custody debacle oh, my um 36 court hearings Ooh. <laughs> and wow. um lots of lawyer bills and um lots of tanks of gas i can say um i just started riding and, and the worst thing got the further i rode and um, it got to the point where i was riding uh i wouldn't turn around until the people started talking funny wherever i was in New England, that doesn't take too far, unfortunately. Yeah, 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 you can do all six New England states in about an hour. Yep. <laughs> but, um, you know, I ended up, um, I found another group of uh, people that rode like I did um, in the Iron Butt Association. Ah, oh, yes. And uh, I ended, joining, ended up joining with them, and I started to do these uh, long-distance endurance rallies. And what was really nice, sometimes preparing for these rallies, you'd have a year, a year and a half here. And it really kept my mind focused and, and, you know, occupied with the riding and not all the stuff that was going on in my life. So it really, really was a savior. Um, I don't mean to take any, any money out of, uh, uh, was it Rev? I don't want to take any money out of your pocket, but except <laughs> It kept me out of the, uh, you know, the professionals' offices. Um, probably kept me out of prison too, because uh, there were times I was pretty angry. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was nice to just get on the bike and um, go through a tank and do a gas. Sweet. Hey, Paul, I want you to know that I am also a member of the Iron Butt Association. I keep forgetting to turn uh, on my paperwork nope. in. <laughs> Do you know the secret handshake? <laughs> oh, I'll catch you in Washington for it. <laughs> oh, sorry. There it is. <laughs> Cat under the stool. <laughs> oh, poor so, so, Paul, when did you start doing this ride? When were you diagnosed? Um, so I, I rode in um, two Iron Butt rallies. I rode in the actual, the actual 2001 Iron Butt rally which was right in the middle of my divorce. And um, I wasn't able to ride it um, on, a, on a normal motorcycle. So what I did was I offered to ride the 11-day, 11,000-mile event on a Russian Ural. Oh, wow. <laughs> Congrats. Wow. And, uh, the, I'm impressed. The, the email I got back it was, um, you're an idiot, but you're in the rally. <laughs> So I um, I actually entered and finished on a on a euro, which um, kind of became my uh, my um, I don't know signature bike claim to fame. Yeah. Yeah. How much of it was the same um, so euro that you started with? Yeah, that's a good question. I've actually yeah. Well, wait a minute. I was factory sponsored. Okay. Uh. So I had the best. I had the best vehicle that they had of any bike in the country. Yeah, don't so don't I sell that thing. It's the only one like that in the world. 250 miles before I blew the first engine. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I went through three engines um, in 11 days. Oh. I crashed on the highway when the steering bearing fell out. <laughs> <laughs> 
Wait, do they make these things in China? No, Russia. No, No, I know. I'm joking. (laughs) (laughs) They don't have any metal there anymore. (laughs) It's all cardboard. I don't know, but when it slid down the highway, it was kind of neat watching all the colorful sparks, unlike any of those Japanese bikes could create. (laughs) Like, oh, there's a little copper coming out. There's a little tight bronze, and yeah. It's a smell of burning plastic. Yes, and when the paint came off the fender, it said aristocrat. I'm not sure what that's about. <laughs> the, um, I forgot where I was going. Oh, you're already alleviating so, my depression. Yeah. So, so I said, how, when did you get diagnosed exactly? Okay, that's where we are. Um, in 2003, I entered the Iron Butt on a normal motorcycle, and midway through the rally... I started experiencing some um, weakness and uh, lost dexterity in my hands, numbness, and um, lots of confusion and memory issues. Um, at the time, I thought it was, you know, the rally, and uh, I actually received custody of my children right in the middle of the rally. Um, so a lot of things were going on. What I found out a year and a half later was that I, I was experiencing my first um, multiple sclerosis attack during the Ironwood rally. So that was um, 2005 is when I was diagnosed. And basically I withdrew from the uh, long distance community. I quit rallying, sold my motorcycle, and I just figured, you know, I was done. I was done riding. Um, I kind of, you know, I withdrew completely from all my friends and riding buddies. And um, I just I just had to take myself away from it because I loved riding so much. I didn't want to be around any of it. And I kind of went on that way for about eight years. Um... I still had a motorcycle, but I really went back to the four or five thousand miles a year riding. And um, it took having a, a fight with my teenage son and an accidental ride for pizza, which ended me up in Florida. <laughs> yeah, wow. Which is not really happens. known as for its pizza either. So, <laughs> Chicago, I could understand. And the, <laughs> and the ride home is when I realized that, you know, I might not be able to compete in the endurance competitions because of my um, cognitive issues. But I could still get in the saddle and push the throttle, and I could still enjoy that feeling. Um, so on the ride home from Florida, I, I I wanted to do something with MS, and I wanted to do something with motorcycles, and decided to uh, come out of the closet, so to speak. Um, nobody knew I had MS. Old people at work. Uh, my family knew, but that was about it. And um, I wanted to I wanted to take my diagnosis public, and, and I wanted to try and do something uh, to help other people. And uh, I came up came up with this plan that I would ride uh, a million miles, document a million miles, uh, raising awareness and, and doing things for um, others other people that have uh, MS or um, other chronic illnesses. And and how's that going? How far in are you? Well, uh, not as far as I'd like, but I think I'm around 65,000 miles. Wow. Um, it'll be two years in July. Nice. So Very nice. Not, not quite as far as I wanted, but... Um, I'm still working a nine-to-five job, so kind of Okay, hold on. Yeah. Hold on, time out. Okay. <laughs> Wait a minute. That's, it's easy to rack up miles when you're a Beamer rider who's independently wealthy and can just, like, go, oh, I'm going off to South America for a couple months. Um, it's a lot more impressive to do the nine-to-five and then do this on your weekends, on your evenings. So very much kudos for that. Yeah, that's yeah. some dedication. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's... Um, it's nice. I, I talk at a lot of different um, MS patient events, and so they send me up and down the East Coast. Um, and so, I, you know, I, I try to rack up the miles that way. I also uh, 
try to, I have a couple of presentations I do at motorcycle rallies. Um, I, I went out to um, Aerostitch Rally out in Duluth last year. And uh, AMA Vintage Days. I do the Americade Rally in uh, Lake George every year. Yeah, that's and, that's uh, uh, next. That's coming up, right? The American. Uh, yeah, next yeah. week, I think. Yeah, and I, yeah, I, I, I wanted to say that's why Axe actually who introduced us, the uh, Quentin who's working with the Americade Rally, I thought it was really cool that they were looking at the podcast as uh, a media source for uh, spreading the word. And I appreciate that uh, we were part of that, and I, that's how I chose you, Paul, to uh, be part of this podcast with us because I knew that what you're going through can relate to what a lot of our own members are going through. So it's not just that I'm a misfit. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you're, yeah, you can be a misfit as well. So. <laughs> you sound pretty normal to me. Yeah. Um, most I, of us I, sound I, normal until you get to know us. I was your podcast earlier today about the scooter, um, Oh yeah. Ride the to, cannonball. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The cannonball starting you know, in 24 hours. I think. Who, who's the, which one of you guys rides the scooter? Bagel. That'd be Bagel. He's not here right now. Yeah, he's preparing. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, he's preparing right now because he's I, taking I, off in less than a day. Like tomorrow morning, he's leaving. He has to have four or five engines ready. <laughs> and, uh, I did this real stupid thing two weeks ago, or three weeks ago, uh, as a fundraiser. I do a fundraiser every year called the MS Five Thousand. Yeah. And it just been last weekend, and we raised. Um, I think we're up to thirty. Thirty-two or thirty-three thousand um, dollars this year. So, but because I'm, I run it, I really can't be in the in the in the event. So what I what I decided to do was um, try to raise money by riding two fifty scooter from Boston, Chicago, and back in uh, forty-eight hours. Yeah, dressed as Dumb and Dumber in a powder blue suit. <laughs> Wow. That is <laughs> awesome. So, so um, and yeah, go, go ahead. Yeah, so, you know, I tried it, and I, I ended up raising uh, 5300 bucks by doing that. Wow, that's great. And um, <laughs> I didn't get beat up or shot at or anything. It was really <laughs> kind of cool. Mm -hmm. And how many engines did you go through for that one? <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, how many engines did that one go through? None. I didn't even check the oil. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, you burn oil with the gas in those. Yeah. No, it was, triumphs, a, it was it's supposed um, to. <laughs> yeah, it was a decent bike, actually. On, on the ride down, it was uh, 17 hours, and the ride home, was I did it 15 hours. Nice. Boston to Chicago? Tailwind. Yeah. I mean, 15 hours from Boston usually gets me, like, Ohio. That's about it. So, Paul, tell me, because I don't know, is is MS treatable? Um, well, here's the thing. MS is um, it's an autoimmune disease. It's basically your your body is attacking. It thinks you have a virus, and your body is attacking the insulation around the nerves in your uh. brain. So it's basically chewing through all the, uh, the wiring harness, chewing out all the insulation and attacking the, the wire. Um, and then it kind of uh, goes away. It has a, a remission force. And sometimes that insulation can repair itself. And sometimes it just becomes a really bad solder. And so the next time your brain tries to send messages across that wire, there's a bad connection or a loose connection and whatever your brain is telling your body to do, it may or may not do it correctly. So that's basically what MS is. And people will have uh, different attacks. They'll get better. Um, there'll be a little residual issue, um, but they'll improve. But over time, those improvements become less and less, and the damage becomes worse, and then the disability becomes worse. And but right now you're doing good because you're out riding, yes. I'm I'm doing well. I mean, most of my issues. I've had MS now for um, nine years, I guess, since I was diagnosed, and I've only had a couple attacks. 
um, the medication that they have today uh, in the past two decades, um, actually, it, before that, they had no medication. It was, I'm very sorry, go home, don't, don't work out, don't do anything, you know, try not to move, and sorry, you know. But in the past 20 years, they've come out with, there's now 10 uh, different disease-modifying therapies. And what they do is they basically trick the disease to attack the medication instead of your brain. Wow. Or they, they shut off parts of your immune system so it's not um, so, so active. Um, so when I first started, when I was first diagnosed, I was put on an injectable. So every day I was sticking myself with a needle. And then recently in the past year, I went to a new oral drug. Uh, and what these drugs do is basically cut the, um, the relapse by about 50%. Cool. So my, my chances of being disabled are, you know, twice as good as somebody who was diagnosed 30 years ago. So let me ask you this. Since you came out, has that helped you? Has my, it made my wife it? doesn't let me say that, but. But as for going around and talking about this and educating people, um, are you have you found that that has helped your you mentally? And emotionally and physically? Um, absolutely. I, I really, um, it was amazing that, you know, I told everybody at work and I, um, I started, um, well, I started this MS, my um, endless road tour is what I'm calling this million miles. And I started it by a stupid world record. Um, <laughs> so you're in the Ironbutt Association, so you, you did a Saddle Store 1000. Oh, no, no. That's too easy. Come on. I did, oh, okay. I did the 1500. So, <laughs> so you, do one, you do one on the way to the other. Bun burner. Yeah. Bun burner, Bun burner, 1500. Yeah. Awesome. Well, to start my, my endless road tour, I wanted to do some kind of publicity stunt. So what I did was I did 100 saddle for 1000. <laughs> and what that is, is I rode 100 different bikes. Over 24 hours, equal to 1,000 miles. Wow. That's, that's... So I swapped, wow. I swapped bikes 99 times. <laughs> but so, when was your, yeah, like what was your favorite? <laughs> yeah. I, I have no clue. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what was your least favorite? <laughs> well, I, I had the help from a, a used bike dealership. Uh. And what they did was they, they had a bike running, and I would just jump off one, jump on the other, and just take off. And it took me, like, to the first red light to find where the foot pegs were. <laughs> I, I would be on a higher boot, but then I would be on some Harley with eight hangers. And it was all in the dark in the rain. Oh, <laughs> no. They wanted was, to make um, it a challenge. Fun. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> um, it, was, it, was, um, it was neat. And, we, you know, we raised four or $5,000 that day. Um, what was the question again? <laughs> what was your least favorite bike? But I did mention I have cognitive issues, right? <laughs> yes. yes. Memory, short-term, um, executive functioning, multitasking, confusion, fatigue. Short-term memory. Those are, well, that, those things. that sounds like everything associated with long-distance motorcycle riding. Well, let me. I was going to say everything associated with living in Santa Cruz. Let me take this opportunity to jump to uh, Ben, who's been waiting on the phone, who also has a long list <laughs> of ailments. I don't mean to laugh at that, Ben. I'm sorry. How are you? Right. I do. <laughs> so <It's> impressive. <laughs> so, Ben, I haven't seen you in a while, and I hope I'm going to see you soon. Uh, when are you coming back, and how long have you been gone? How long has it been since you've ridden? Uh, well, it's been a minute, that's for sure. It's been uh, uh, about a year since I've been on a motorcycle. Uh, and then that was only for about a month or so because I was having a bit of a tough time then. And so since I've been riding properly, it's been uh, maybe a couple of years because I was in Spain before that and uh, in Madrid and I didn't have one, you know. So, so in public transport. 
So, I, first of all, you want to tell people what what you are dealing with on a daily basis, and then when you were dealing with that, what writing meant to you. Oh, I'm sorry, it's a little hard to hear. What What did you say? Can you tell what what writing meant means oh, to you? What writing meant to me? Yes. Um. Well, basically, in a nutshell, I've got the uh, the diagnosis of what they call dual diagnosis, which means that I have like mental health problems. Uh, my one in particular is I'm bipolar, or they used to call it manic depressive, which means I can get like depressed episodes where I get very, very low. And I mean, it's not just like you know hating the world a little bit. It's like, you know you really can't really function, and you know it's very, very hard to even do like really mundane things like take a shower or brush your teeth suddenly becomes like a huge chore and then you get the manic episodes where you basically like feel like you're superman and you need about four hours sleep a night and you get delusional and you do things like crossing the road without looking and thinking your god's gifts to women and all kinds of stupid shit like that and so you know it's a combination of those with the mental health aspect and then the the, uh, the dual diagnosis comes into play because I'm also a raging drug addict. And so uh, that's that, yeah. And um, then I also have some chronic pain and bloody, bloody, blah. blah, blah. <laughs> loads, oh. loads of things. Welcome to the club. You know, a yeah. lot of stuff. Yeah. And, what, and, and what writing's meant to me? Is, is that the other, was that the other part of it? Yes. So I got into it, uh, you know, I, I did it when I was really young a little bit, but then didn't do it again after that until actually uh, my good friend Doug uh, called me up and was like, hey, you know, I've, I've gone into motorcycles and I've uh, met this uh, woman who runs this garage, you know, it's really cool and we all go and work on motorcycles and hang out together, you know, do you like them and would you be interested in getting involved? And I was like, yeah, you know, and at that point in my life, it was the first point where I was starting to get clean and not like want to do as many drugs and stuff and I was looking for other things to do with my life and it actually been recommended to me by a therapist at one point you know motorcycling can be a really great thing to um to help you sort of you know have something another interest like a, a clean a clean and healthy interest you know and so um I, I went down and, and met you Liza and like you know everyone was really nice and um you know you most, I just love motorcycles, you know, like it's just something about them. And then when you start riding them, it gets even better. So um, just just doing that and, and having something to work on and uh, uh, something outside of my own head that was fun and adventurous, exciting, you know, a little bit, well, a lot of bit dangerous and um, people to be around and something like that. And it didn't involve any drugs or alcohol. And it was, it was, you know, it was, it was a, a great comfort and it was something to do with my time. And I, I was really, you know, it was just that opportunity that Doug gave me that kind of came out of the blue to give me something that I now I now really, really like, you know. Yeah, and you definitely, you paid your dues. You, you helped everyone else. And then we helped you build a bike. And it was really cool for me to see how... You learned and you were really invested in what you were doing. And, and even though I knew that you had these things you were dealing with in your life, whenever you came to the garage, you didn't bring that. You were here. You were part of the group. You were focused. And uh, I'm glad to have been a part of that. Um, I want to say that since your bike has been sitting for a while, yes? Oh, my bike is there? No. but No, Okay. I was wondering if you if you wouldn't mind if we went and got your bike and got it ready for you. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny you say that because um, a little while ago I put something on Facebook and um, Doug was like, hey, would you like me to fix up your bike? And my bike's been sitting outside my parents' house for about uh, a year now. And my mum's just like underneath. She's like, yes, yes, yes. Take Doug up on his offer. <laughs> Get it off I mean? my yard. <laughs> what was that? Oh, I'm just going... Uh, get it away from the yard, get it out of the house, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. She doesn't want it sitting out there anymore. Yep. I don't think she thinks it's as pretty as I do, <laughs> you know? So, she, yeah, she's definitely wanting it to go, and, uh, mate, if I could get it running again, then that'd be, that would be fantastic. It's just, you know, like, I, I need to get the opportunity to get back to Santa Cruz, and, uh, you know, I've got a bit of bad history there, and um, it's taking a while to uh, get back to being level after my last little sort of, like, 
run in with the whole mental health thing. So, you know, when when the time's ready, we can definitely talk about that. It'd be fantastic. Yeah, definitely. So uh, let me jump real quick to who wants to go next? <laughs> Adrian. Oh, joy. Okay. Um, so much like Ben, I've had substance abuse problems in the past. Um, I've been sober for 13 years now. Um, yay, yay me. Um, I've also, in my part of my laundry list, is uh, clinical depression for about 17 years now. Um, that's been a fun one to deal with. And also uh, some body dysmorphia going on um, that actually ties in very well with motorcycling. So that's been my laundry list. Um, how these things have helped or how motorcycling ties into it. Um, for the substance abuse, um, mostly alcohol, it was actually not so much motorcycling per se, but being a motorcyclist gave me a great excuse not to drink at parties. Oh, that's a good point. It was part of my coping mechanisms afterwards. Like, okay, I'm sober, but I still want to have a life. I want to have some fun. So motorcycling, and I'd go to parties and be like, oh, you want to drink? I'm like, no, I can't. I'm on the bike. You know, I didn't have to bring up the sobriety aspects to in the middle of the party because it always gets awkward because the host feels bad for offering. and But just doing something like, no, I'm on the bike, which is true. I'm on the bike that night. So... Um, and after a while, you know, people stop offering, and you know that smooths it out that way. Um, clinical for the clinical depression, endorphins, plain and simple, just the rush, you yeah. know, of going 150 or so. Um, the interesting one is the body dysmorphia, um, which I had several coping mechanisms for that. Um, which was the original one was alcohol, which uh, we know how healthy that is in the long run. Um, but what it was is any sort of kinesthetic motions, such as club dancing or motorcycling, would help reestablish my body identity. It would, you know, it wouldn't be fuzzy anymore. It would be a concrete thing again. So I would hop on the bike, go racing out into the hills, and through kinesthetic motions, it would help reset my sense of self, and I get a huge, like, adrenaline endorphin kick at the same time. So. I was hooked. To reconnect the mind and the body. Yes. Interesting. Well, I, I, can I interrupt for one second? Oh, yeah. Because yeah. I was just going to say, I, I'm definitely with that, like, the whole reconnecting thing, but uh, mine was a little bit more mellow. Like, you know, I didn't do it at maybe 150 miles an hour. I would, like, <laughs> ride out maybe, like, 40 miles or an hour around the hills. Maybe a bit more than that, okay? Mm -hmm. Don't lie. But, um, and then stop my bike somewhere beautiful and go on a hike and, like, sit by a... Um, you know, a, a vista point or something, you know, so it didn't, it wasn't all about adrenaline, that's just what I'm trying to say, it was like, yeah. sometimes it was lo lovely and hippie and mellow, you know, oh, yeah. other times. I, I completely agree, it wasn't all just adrenaline speed, because um, if I was, something like that, I'd take a, like, skydiving or something like that. Um, but, <laughs> Part of your body at the earth, yeah, that's fun. Yeah, um, but also with motorcycling, like, one of the best moments I had was, yeah, probably about 50 miles an hour at evening, and it just, mm. it allowed my body to blend with the machine so I could forget about my body for a while mm. and distract it. So it'd just be one entity running down the road. It wouldn't be a, somebody on a bike. It would just be one thing flowing. In the moment. And then, right. you know, that would end, or that moment would end, and I'd be settled again in my body. Hey, Paul, does that strike a chord with you? Do you uh, experience does, that? I mean you know, you know, we, before I had MS, I realized how important motorcycling was and how, you know, as I got on the bike and rode, um, pain, anger, fear, anxiety, all went away the more hours and time I spent on the bike. And it, it, by the time I got home, you know, even though I knew that there was crap at home, by the time I got home, I was okay. I was okay with what was going on. I was going to, you know, I was going to make through and and now with with having passed when i ride the bike a long distance i don't have ms right. all of my issues go away and you know it, it, it's amazing it's hard to explain to people who don't ride or have never been able to experience that but i, I i'll go for a ride four or five hours six hours 12 hours later I'll get to a hotel and I'll take a shower, put my stuff in the room. I'll go down to the bar. I'll be having a drink. 
and I'll all of a sudden I'll realize I have a family, I have a wife, I have all my wife is horrible. <laughs> but I I completely I, I was at a bar one time listening to this woman tell me about her son's graduation and I was at my own son's graduation the weekend before and I never once, you know, put two and two together and said, Oh my gosh, I'm doing you know, I have a kid too. I was just listening to her like I didn't have any children. It was it's a weird thing to explain, but riding clears my head of mm-hmm. everything. Yeah. I and, know, I know what you, you know, mean. allows me yeah. to get back to just you know, I, I have um uh you know, uh iTunes on my on my bike that I can listen to and I've ridden, you know, four thousand miles and not turned it on. Um Apple hates me because I haven't changed my song list in 12 years. <laughs> I would go crazy. I need the stimulation. That, yeah. I have varieties of and it, it. I don't need it. It's just, you know, the thoughts in my I head or, or thinking about absolutely mind. nothing um, really to me is what is fixing me. You know, moto yeah. medicine. Yeah. Medicinal Ooh, use I of like motorcycling. But like this thing. Um, I have a doctor's prescription that to ride my motorcycle as much as needed up to nine hours per day to relieve symptoms of MS. Nice, nice. Um, the other, I'm not sure where I can get it filled, but... Every gas station. <laughs> every gas station. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Nice one. Um, so, yeah, the other um, aspect for me for motorcycling, and it's going to be insanely stereotypical, but is the freedom and escape. So yeah. whenever I'm in a situation that I'm un- uncomfortable with, um, be it at a social situation, drinking, mm-hmm. substance abuse, or uncomfortableness in scenarios, I feel threatened. I can just jump on the bike and go. Um, so, and it gets, it is very ingrained that it's almost pathological at this point. Because mm-hmm. there was a time, multiple years ago, I want to say about like seven or so, where I lost my license. Um, my bike was impounded, I lost my license, and it took me about a week and a half to get that all sorted out. And I was a wreck. I was a mess. You know, it was my escape, my way of dealing with things, of running away, technically, um, was gone. So I couldn't escape anymore. And I was stuck. And I was an utter wreck for two weeks. Wow. All right. when, it, when winter comes around here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hey, and Paul, just so you know, I lived in Boston for three years and rode year round. So there. <laughs> I grew yeah, up. Oh, you were the other person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, Zoe, your turn. Oh no. Um. <laughs> well, I don't know. I've I've got a few different things to deal with. Um. I've always had social anxiety. Uh, that's kind of one of the main ones. Um, and riding motorcycles, I always had this ability to just wear my motorcycle gear whenever I'm going to an event or something, and it gave me this extra layer of protection, this armor, um, socially. And, you know, I, it helped a lot, you know, and it also like gave me a little more confidence because, you know, I've ride a motorcycle. Like that's kind of badass. (laughs) Yep. As well as, um, common topic to talk about. Right. Yeah. You know, fall into it. Right. Anybody can just walk up to you and start a conversation. Um, so it's, actually been really good because there's been tons of times where people just randomly walk up to me and start a conversation and let me tell you there was a point in time where that would have scared me to death (laughs) but now it's all good um so yeah that's the thing and the biggest thing lately has been the escape um see about seven months ago now i had a surgery that went a little awry and um the phrase torn a new butthole no. <laughs> definitely no. applies here. Ouch. Um, Sad but true. Yes. Yeah. So anyways, it required me to have an ostomy, which has been quote unquote difficult by doctors. Um, understatement. So, yes. Understatement. Yeah. So basically I'm mostly in bed or in bed. Um, or, I, or in bed. In bed. Yeah. In yeah. bed a lot lately. Um, so, but one of the things though, uh, I don't know, when I went to surgery initially, I rode in with a pack of motorcyclists. Like, yeah. it was pretty badass. Um, Definitely intimidates a surgeon. 
Oh yeah, no, it <laughs> yeah. was great. We had the whole lobby of their surgeon's office filled with motorcyclists. It was wonderful. Yeah, the doorman was cowering. Yeah, yeah. piles of helmets and leather everywhere. <laughs> um, and it was, it was great. Um, and I remember after everything went wrong, the only thing I could think about was getting back on the motorcycle. Mm-hmm. Like, I think Liza could attest to that. I mean, I now, was in rough shape. even though you haven't been able to go for long, long rides, rides or ride often, you have been able to go for short rides. Yeah, and those have been the resetters of my brain. <laughs> and since you've been trapped in your home most of the time, yeah. I mean, is that what's just been keeping you going? What would you do without it? Um, Computers and motorcycles. (laughs) Right. But, um, yeah, no, I mean, I'm, like, planning what I want to do to um, my CBR and the project bike. Um, You know, like, I've barely kept it running through this whole thing. Like, when I had surgery afterwards, um, I left it in the garage, and I guess they found a electrical problem and I ended up soldering in the new reg rack and so I've basically kept the heart beating on the bike yeah and that's kept my heart beating um Mm. same with my computer actually (laughs) but so yeah I feel like if my bike's running I'm running um and it's definitely become a weird coping mechanism too like I always felt like Adrian said I could just always escape on the back of a motorcycle get into a social situation where I'm just feeling a little odd Hey, I gotta go, you know, something to do, jump on the bike, you know, no one's gonna question you. I mean, it's, it's just, yeah, so, because I also suffer from panic attacks, um, so that's definitely been something that's helped me a lot. Um, I've noticed the flight or flight response is triggered a lot on motorcycles, and it's actually helped me control that. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's being triggered so often as cars merge into you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, right. You've, got, you've got to learn to control it, it at that point. It becomes a normal feeling. Right. You know, you, you get on the bike, you feel like you're having a panic attack, but nope, this no, is just, just your throttle. brain. Everybody is yeah. actually out right. to get you. Right. Right. Oh, well, yeah, I know. paranoia. <laughs> <laughs> Which works great on a motorcycle, by the way. Um, so, yeah, it, it's been a very multifaceted um, part of my life. Like, I can't point to any single part of motorcycles that make my life better. It's just as a whole. I love wrenching, thinking about, looking at. Um, I'm a big gearhead. I love mechanical stuff in general. So m- motorcycles is just a nice extension of that. And we should say that there is a... a a light at the end of the tunnel for Maybe. you, at least. Hopefully. There are steps yeah. in process. The good people at Stanford have me in their care. So Exactly. To get that corrected. So, yeah. Cage. Yes. How's it going over there? It's great. You've been quiet. I have been quiet. Taking it all in? Taking it all in. He's taking S- notes. Slowly <laughs> taking it in. Got my little notepad here. So, I have a first question for you. How long have you been writing? Just over a year now. Okay. Ooh, yeah. congratulations. Thank you. So, now to premise, I am not a big fan of Western psychological medicine, but to put it in relatable, concrete terms, a couple years back, I was diagnosed with conditions like GAD, Generalized Anxiety Disorder, Agoraphobia, which is a fear of people, public places. Or being and, out of contact. Right, but yeah. Right. And everyone's favorite, uh, depression. Yeah. Checklist. Yay. Yay. <laughs> Yay. 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 Oh, Santa Cruz. <laughs> I love you're depression. American, right. It's my right. best friend and worst enemy. <laughs> so, you know, for time, it was impossible for me to leave my room, go out to eat, hold any semblance of a social life. Um, and being in college, a metropolis of drugs, I, uh, I turned to drugs as a form of self-medication. As we know, it's not sustainable. And eventually, I dropped out of college on this downward spiral. Uh, did a stint in rehab. I was homeless for a while. Eventually, I bought a ticket to South America with no intention of returning to the States. Um, wow. In South America, I got clean. Hmm. Like that. <laughs> like, I, I could actually relate to that. And that was it. Um, yeah, when I was over in the UK. I didn't have a drinking problem there. Yeah. But it, as soon as I came back to the States, it came back. It's, it's right it's there. It's the warm beer. You can never get used to it. <laughs> yeah. And um, in South America, I also I found a new addiction, which gave me 
that feeling of infinite freedom, kind of cliche, but um, it was just complete self-control, and it was motorcycling. Also kind of want to go back to what Adrian said about being in the moment. When you're in that moment, it's just everything, everything is fine. Yeah. It's goodness. It's weird. It's just that over exhilaration. Like the world is just coming at you so fast. Your brain has nothing but to try to keep up with it. So focusing on anything else is kind of fucking impossible. Yeah. So So. Rev, in as few words as you can, because you are a man (laughs) of many words, can you explain to everyone the common thread here and why motorcycling is important to them. The expert's opinion, everyone. What's happening in their well, their mind? The the thing that jumps out to me most blatantly is you, everyone here is describing something called the flow experience. It was documented a few years back by a guy named, and I'm going to horribly pronounce it, his Russian name, Chiksai Setmihai. Sounds good to me. <laughs> wow. okay. If you just look up the flow experience, you'll find his work. But basically... It describes what a lot of athletes have been talking about, this peak performance state, where you're challenged to the edge of your abilities, but not over. So it's a trying task. You have to really place yourself into it. It has to have a certain amount of intrinsic reward involved in it. Um, The nature of the experience as you're applying yourself into it will have a feeling as if you melt away into the moment and you're just part of the experience happening in front of you. The nature of I almost doesn't exist. And in that place, according to Chiksai Setmihai, um, you're achieving your highest level of performance for who you are in the situation at that time of um, proficiency. So this whole time I've been chasing my flow, like the, the innerness, because I mean, I get that with like Photoshop, mm-hmm. I get that with mm-hmm. motorcycles. Yeah, you're actually, your relation to computers is very accurate. Um, the translation is very much the same. Your brain really doesn't know much of a difference between the two mediums, right? Um, especially if you like doing immersive, immersive gaming, where you're seeing stuff in a similar fashion as you might see on a motorcycle, right? You know, immersive programming or mm-hmm. just yeah, yeah. Um, that description of the flow experience also goes into art and other aspects of creativity. It really taps on a lot of a human potential. Such um, another thing is the nature of activities like these. Um, high energy sports and it, I know people don't think of motorcycling as a high energy sport but oh, it is. Uh, I do <laughs> I, I tend to lose weight when I ride yeah um, it does release a whole lot of other natural chemicals in your bodies like your endorphins and such these are for example uh, Cage was talking about the nature of a connection to opiate addiction so these the same chemicals that are he's faking with the opiates can be attained naturally through doing this sport without having the damaging effects. In fact, the adrenalines and the uh, endorphins that are released are actually healthy for the body. So I have a question for everyone. We'll figure out how people can jump in. But so my question is, how do you not cross that line? You know, I was saying you can go for a ride to clear your head, but you have to have a clear head to ride. So you cross it and you just hope for the best. Yeah, you just don't care. Would everyone... And in this conversation, say you've all crossed that line when oh, you yeah. shouldn't have been riding. Oh, yeah. Quite yep, a few yep. times. Yep. I've gotten lucky. I've, I think uh, I'm the yeah. only one here that hasn't yeah. beefed it into the side of a road. I haven't. You haven't? Oh, no. cool. Fist bump. Yeah. <laughs> air <laughs> fist bump in the air. Yeah, we totally did that. Uh, but actually, no, my two crashers were not really related to any coping mechanisms or rage or anything like that. I mean, one of them was, yeah, I wasn't in the right headspace for what I was doing, but that yes. was a work burnout, not a coping with life issues um but i think that's that's part of the concept is um when you're not in the right mind to be writing a coping mechanism when i'm writing to alleviate the ungodly stress of pulling off a phd i'm burning out the nature of the stress through the writing when i am exhausted because i just saw six patients eight patients in a day and i you know i have, my brain just doesn't want to do anything getting on a bike starts getting sketchy and i notice because mm. i creep a little closer to the back of that guy when he stopped i uh, i punch it uh, at the end of the turn and find I'm grabbing brake just going into a turn instead of easing it in a little bit of, um, with a little bit of finesse. Right? Yeah, one of finding the ways, your flow. Yeah, yeah, one of the ways you can right. look at it is some people, um, when they're trying to learn to ride, it's like the motorcycle's riding them. You mm-hmm. know, they're yes. long for the ride um, where it's, you know, they're taking corners and they're sort of fudging their way through it and the, the motorcycle's definitely in control. Where when you become a proficient rider or when you're trying to ride for mental health you're in control of the bike now hey ben 
I was yeah. talking. I'm sorry, I'm having trouble hearing what's going on. That's why I haven't been too active in this conversation. You're doing great, bud. So, okay. <laughs> thanks for the reassurance. <laughs> I was talking with you earlier, and I uh, I asked you, are you looking forward to getting back on the bike as soon as you you come you come back to uh, to our circle? And uh, you want to uh, share your response? Uh, well, it's a little it's it's a little complicated, you know, because I obviously like having this conversation right now, and I'm just like thinking, fuck, I want to ride a motorcycle again, like, <laughs> you know, especially we're talking about riding when it's dangerous, you know. But um, uh, no, I would say the one thing, it, just before I get onto that, for me, I try not to ride a motorcycle or a motorbike, whatever you want to call it, when I'm angry. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. but I can't yeah. always control that, but. Um, Definitely, I think I advise against riding when you're angry because then you can be pretty stupid. Mm-hmm. But I, I can't say I've always done that because you do cross the line. But um, that's my advice. But uh, you know, I know I walk around the street and you know I haven't got any transport at the moment. And I walk around and I see all these motorbikes and I'm just like, oh my god, you know, I want to, I want to be on one again. I want that feeling that we've been talking about of just like blending in with the motorcycle and the environment and I think only people who ride like know what it is you know like you're, you're like you're one with everything and the, the, the bike is an extension of your body especially when you go like around a the corner or you you know you're overtaking someone and you're cutting through the traffic and suddenly it's just like you know you're like a hero in that manga movie it's you know what I mean yeah. 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 Just, you're reaching out to the next corner and just pulling that corner towards you yeah uh, yeah it's, it's, it's unreal the sensation of how everything just melds together and, and yes. it's beautiful and it's and you know but um so yeah as as my tone suggests i would quite like to get on a bike <laughs> but, um, <laughs> i was i was i can't rush it you know i was in a i was in a bad state um i was in a coma about seven or eight months ago and i was telling uh, Liza a little while ago that um having been so close to death um, has made me kind of reconsider my life options a little bit because, I, you know, motorcycling is dangerous and I, it's very dangerous. And I, I, I always, like, considered the the risk factor worth it because I love it so much and it adds so much to my life. And, it, and, and, and without sounding, like, cheesy, it kind of makes my life a bit more worth living. That's how much I like motorcycles. Um, but... Um, when you you know i that, that idea of, of getting hurt now or, or even worse is a bit fresher in my mind and so uh, when i think about it i think i feel real nervous about the idea of getting on a bike again and so i'll wait until my my medication's a bit more stable and i'm a little bit more ready and then i imagine i'll get on one and i'll be nervous for about half a second and we'll be yeah. good to go. so, but this is also something that I would really work closely with your with your mental health professional, that, that your therapists and counselors on helping you understand the nature of your consciousness state in relation to when you're writing. It's like the more you understand yourself, the more that you can gain a certain level of self-mastery and tell yourself, I am a little bit too manic to be on a bike right now. Well, it's funny that you say that because um, actually Manic is one of the ones where I, I, it has, like normally I like to think that I can decide when I'm okay to ride a bike or not, that, you know, if I'm too depressed or too angry, then I shouldn't do it, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, mania, um, as you might know if, if you're, you know, work in the field, um, as a low-level mania, you still know what you're doing. You mm-hmm. can control it. But as the mania starts to get worse and worse, you become, you basically become delusional. You're not yeah. in control of who you are anymore. It's almost like the mania takes over you get delusions of grandeur which basically mean you think you can do absolutely anything now this combined with riding a bike is not the best thing in the world Uh, and one of the things that actually happened to me um last time i was going manic uh was uh you know my sleep cut down this is common with that illness i couldn't sleep at night and um so i got up in the middle of the night got on my bike and I just remember riding down Highway 1 about, I was only doing like a cool hundred, but it was so foggy I couldn't see more than like 10 meters in front of my face, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I was riding like that and then I got home and, you know, everything was fine and I woke up the next morning and luckily I had enough sense about me to call my doctor and be like, you know, holy shit, this is this is what I did last night. I need my medication increased. Ben, are you, you know, sure I'm, that that wasn't just a scene from the movie Lost Boys? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, did you wake up with a bad Come ear on. piercing and sunglasses? <laughs> um. <laughs> hey, I was wearing a helmet. I, didn't they, have, they didn't have helmets back then, did they? <laughs> <laughs> so, Paul, I have a question for you. So, 
Will you potentially be able to continue writing or is there a line that you are mentally prepared for that you're going to have to call it quits? Um, from my cold, dead fingers? <laughs> um, no, I mean, you know, the possibility of me, you know, waking up with um, a leg that's numb or an arm that, you know, I can't control, um, it's there. I don't think about it. Um, I, you know, I, I don't dwell on it. Um, lucky enough, I'm, I'm able to put that stuff aside. But, you know, I do know that at some point, uh, there may come a time where I, where I can't ride a bike. Um, and, you know, the, the way my life has gone, um, something will come up to either replace it or I'll find a place, you know, to make a motorcycle fit me. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always kind of done that. So I, I, don't, I don't dwell on it. You know, I know that the possibility is there. And what that gives me is it gives me more uh, drive to do what I'm doing more to ride more to ride every single day that i can um and and use my ability um to try and and do some good in the world that's awesome following my passion (laughs) so um now for everyone else here especially cage zoe adrian how important was community, not just getting on your bike and being able to ride, but have you found the motorcycle community specifically is different from any other community you were part of, and how has that been for you and your situation? I'm going to have to break it to you. Um, the motorcycling community is not that much different than some of the other communities in the fact that there, a lot of them are very warm and inclusive and friendly. And mm. communities. And communities. Um, okay. I don't think there's anything special about the motorcycle community as opposed to other communities. Except we wear armor and ride on two wheels. That is true. Um, though, I mean, the other communities I'm car- comparing it to are such as the geek computer types, um, which tend to be very accepting as well. Mm-hmm and um, the gothic industrial folks, which you have to be a freak to be there. So they're, they're pretty warm yeah, and know, accepting as well. They're like, oh, hi. Oh, is this a lifestyle change? Oh, okay, fine. And move on. So I don't think there's anything about motorcycling specific. Having said that, I do really enjoy the Santa Cruz motorcycling community. Um, I do think it is fairly unique compared to the rest of the country. Even. I agree. Um, you know, we have the clubs around here are open, friendly, of all different types the there's so many riders that you can find a community of riders that fits your needs i was when i first moved to the bay area um, i was shocked that not only was there a um, goth mailing list and a biker mailing list there was a sub goth biker mailing list (laughs) (laughs) there's enough people there for that yeah how about for you cage well that been yeah i found the motorcycling community um a lot of us share in the understanding that riding a motorcycle and riding it the way you want to ride it brings you into a moment of what I would call Satori. Some people would call, you know, temporary enlightenment, uh, Zen. Right. Um, and I don't know other communities out there. I haven't done a lot of research that can get into something like that. So I, that's how I see the motorcycle community. It's different from others. Yeah. I mean, I guess you're right. Every community across the country is going to be a little bit different. We here in Santa Cruz do have this very open, accepting... Well, actually, we take pride in being misfits, I was right? I say, yeah. Santa Cruz is kind of misfit-y. It's, yeah. We take... Yeah. We're proud of that. Yeah. Paul, how is it out there on the East Coast? You got a lot of misfits? No, well, I mean, I, I find, you know, I do travel <clears throat> across the country quite a bit. So, I mean, I, I meet other motorcyclists everywhere and and i i do always feel um you know connected um you know i'll stop on the side of the road and i see somebody broken down um the last time i did the guy said boy you carry a lot of tools do you break down a lot I said, <laughs> no but i i help other people no, that break down do. like you <laughs> yeah <laughs> um but i mean i i i've always had a connection with with riders whether it's you know sport bike touring bikes um, antiques, uh, show bikes. There's always some, um, and, and for me, I don't really do anything else. 
Um, you know, I quit going to church. I think the day I moved out of my parents' house. So I haven't really been part of any other community except riding for the past, you know, almost 30 years. And um, I feel comfortable with other riders. And so the, the other half of the word fit is fit. So I do fit with the misfit, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So, Rev, uh, since you have patients, have you or, or would you recommend prescribe writing to people? Oh, I'm very big on pushing hobbies and activities, especially things like motorcycling, because it's, uh, I call it a, a, a secondary gain. You gain a lot from the experience itself, plus all of the other support that you get from it. In this case, the community, the people that you run into, the people you find on the road. In fact, even if I didn't know anyone and I go out on a ride, I wave my hand at every bike that goes by who waves right back at me. Yep. Oh, I love that. I love. Oh God, I love that. It's cheesy as hell, but I love that. It always yeah. makes me smile. Even if I'm in a foul mood, it's one of those things that recognize that there's other people out there that share this one singular passion with me. Yeah. Nice. So we're at about the hour mark. Does anyone have anything else they'd like to share? And Paul, I'll still give you an opportunity to tell people how to find you. Yeah, actually, I do. I mean, I know I just said that a lot of communities are created equal, um, but I just want to thank you for Liza, because oh. I do realize that the... Recycle Garage here is an incredibly safe space. Um, it's an incredibly wonderful space that people can come in no matter what and learn how to wrench and learn how to ride. So I just want to say thank you for that. I, I appreciate that, and, and I'm aware of that. And for people like Ben can be one of the people who can speak on that behalf that I, I'm proud of that because I see in people how how what it means to them to learn how to work on their bike themselves and, and just having been like learn how to do just the the grinder and just getting in there and i i saw him really grow from a lot of his experiences in here so i i'm paid back let's put it that way by seeing I mean, like, like you 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 are lovely mate we we are we are <laughs> yeah. you know it's i was just actually thinking you know i'm not far away here and i'm over in palo alto and i don't i don't really want to move back to santa cruz but i was thinking you know the garage is in Santa Cruz. Maybe I should go back to Santa Cruz, you know. Like, <laughs> it's enough to make me want to live there. Do you know what I mean? It's, uh, we're very, very lucky to have there. There's too many yeah. crazy people here, Ben. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't really, know. It's just I've, a nice I've been ride. Now. It sounds like I've lost my uh, place to page anyway. He's trying to one-up <laughs> me. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> traveling around, doing drugs, gone to England. But I would go to England. It must be a horrible place. <laughs> So, Paul, how can oh, people reach you? Um, well, I, I do have a website, um, longhaulpaul.com. And, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff on there about what, what I'm doing, where I'm going. Uh, people can actually track me live. I've got a spot tracker on the bike. Very uh, cool. See where I'm going, where I've been. Um, I try to write, write a lot of um, stories about riding on the road, riding with a disability, um, how, how it must affect me. Uh, but I also write a lot of um, stuff about riding, and um, I do all the customizing on my bike, set it up for long-distance riding. Um, I do a lot of fabricating stuff. I think I'd like to come and visit down there uh, someday. It's only about 3,000 miles, so that's a two-day ride. Um, come out and hang out at the garage. I think you guys have a lot of fun there. Yeah, yeah. And, um, definitely sounds I'm, good. I'm a real hands-on guy. I mean, everything I, everything on my bike has been farkled and defarkled and overfarkled. <laughs> I, you know, hey, can we take can we take a grinder to your bike? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. You know, <laughs> let's go with that fresh aluminum look. <laughs> yeah. Nice. So, anyone else have anything else they want to add? Close with anything then i will close with i want to i really want to thank everyone for coming out and opening up about what they're going through what it means to them i'm proud of all of my friends who can be open with who they are and thus teach me about what it's like and it helps me to turn around and, and be more helpful and supportive and not shit afraid of people 
and not just say, ooh, they're crazy. Oogie boogie. <laughs> and I, I, I really think that's something that is really cool here. Now if we can just get rid of all the hippies, it'd be great. <laughs> and the hipsters. Don't forget the hipsters. The they hipsters gotta go too. first. Gotta go. The hipsters first. <laughs> so um, I want to thank everyone else for, for listening. And if you would like to reach us, uh, you can find us at MotorcyclesAndMisfits.com. You can uh, like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash RecycleSantaCruz. And you can email us at RecycleMotorcycleGarage at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from anyone else who maybe is touched by somebody's story or has questions. Um, also, you can like us on iTunes. Or rate please us on rate iTunes. us on iTunes. Rate us on iTunes and the YouTube page. Recycle Santa Cruz. Okay. And we love you, Texas. <laughs> what? Did you just say we love you, Texas? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Could we have a vote on that one? Because I don't like <laughs> yeah. Texas. Oh, yeah. I, um, yeah. I, oh, I, oh, love, cool. I love like the 10 people that listen to us in Texas. Oh, oh okay. I don't. I don't. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, we love them. Insane yeah. people in Texas. Yeah. Not all of Texas is insane. Right, just most, of it. <laughs> just most of it. There's, there's good. So spots. yes, if you're in Texas, we will put you up for like riding around in California if you want to come on out and escape. Yeah, I think September <laughs> is a good month towards the end of the year, right before the season changes. You can get some great rates. Yeah. There you go. All right, thanks for listening. We're out. This is Liza. This is Rev. Adrian. Zoe. Cage. On the phone we have. Uh, I just say thanks, and my name's Ben. I'm sorry, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that would happen. Paul and Ben, thanks again for calling in, and we are out. Cool, cool. Cheers. <laughs>